Hey everyone, today I have the pleasure of having Warren here on the podcast and we're going to talk lots about cold email, but specifically we're going to be looking at how to do scale outreach with SDRs and appointment setters. Warren's a bit of an expert in this space. He's you know, managed big teams, helped others to manage teams and has a lot of really high quality information on this topic, which is why we've invited him in. But hey, Lauren, how you doing? Warren, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing too bad at all. Appreciate the time and having me on today. I'm super excited. Um, Ryan's talked a lot about this podcast and the aims with it. So I'm excited for that alone. Never mind this conversation. Nice, nice, nice. So it'd be great if you could introduce yourself, say who you are and what you do. Yeah, brilliant. My name is obviously Warren Mulvey. Over the past kind of two years, I can give you like an, an elevator pitch. I've gone from McDonald's to door-to-door sales, did that for about nine months, transitioned to high ticket sales. After like three weeks, I started managing a team, brought them from like 150K to around 350K, did that for like four, five, six, seven months and managed a couple other teams in the meantime and ran from like 10, 15K from nothing, 25K from nothing. Um, from there, transitioned away and I was like, look, I want to kind of build up my own businesses opposed to working for somebody else. So I started training my sister. She started working with myself, my company, and we started managing some outbound cold email. Funny enough, we did, we did at the beginning, we didn't really know what we wanted to do, but ultimately keeping in the same niche of like sales and marketing, because I, I believe it's pretty much the same thing, right? Um, and started doing that over the past kind of six, seven months. In the meantime, started working with some other companies as well, selling call centers. Um, I'm building up affinity sales training, and then everything else just kind of meshes into the one. And we're obviously going to dive into that on this podcast. Nice, nice. Yeah, thank you. And so you mentioned that you uh, helped build sales teams. Tell me a little bit yep. more about that. What, what um, different roles were there in these sales teams or what, what did you have them doing? Yeah, great question. There's, I suppose there's a lot that goes into the sales teams in terms of when you're in that position of sales manager, you have to be overviewing pretty much everything, not just the people on the sales calls, the people booking the sales calls, the people qualifying the sales calls. You're talking like the marketing as well, because ultimately if you get no leads for these guys, uh, they're not going to be happy, right? And I feel like in that like sales management position, like the only thing you should be always worried about is like managing people's emotions, because that's really what it is. If somebody feels like they're in a slump, it's just only going to get worse. And like you're basically coaching them to get out of that. Um, like for example, my best rep, she was uh, Chinese, didn't have the best English in, in the world, but she was still collecting 200K a month. I mean, that was a great anchor point to show to everybody else and say, hey, look, if she can do it, <laughs> so can you guys, right? So um, that's one thing that maybe is like lacking with some of the offers that I've seen previously with um, some colleagues of mine working within and not predominantly focused on like coaching their team opposed to just looking for the quick fix in terms of like, you know, replacement. Um, ultimately, that goes through an onboarding period and, and they're probably going to be at a worse level, if not at the same. And you could just coach them to be in a better position. But yeah, I have a lot of I have a lot to say when it comes to some of the offer owners in this place. Nice. nice. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that, because I know a lot of people, they think that getting an SDR sales development representative or an appointment setter is you can just hire them and they'll start booking meetings straight into your calendar. <laughs> Now, I doubt the reality is quite quite as bright uh, or quite as yeah. easy to get to. Um, tell me a bit more about the kind of pitfalls that you see people fall um, fall into when they're trying to hire or when they do hire and manage SDRs. Yeah, great question. I literally saw this like last week. Somebody literally tagged me on this on Twitter. 
and they cc'd me and said look i hired an sdr we gave them all the scripts we gave them um, some case studies and we just let them go to work and then they just left after a week i mean <laughs> even just like hearing that off the surface you're not coaching them to get into a better position you're not um kind of leading them by example right like ultimately with managing a, a process and a team what you need to be focused on is you know future projections because ultimately if they don't f see like growth in that position they're not going to stay like it, naturally humans want to evolve right they want to get into a better position they want to make more money you throwing scripts and case studies at them is not going to make them work you're going to have to meet up with them daily if not like three times a week at the beginning and slowly that kind of tapers off but I've had it too many times where people come to me and say they hired an SDR, you know, maybe they did get one or two bookings at the beginning and just left. And I'm like, Warren, why are they just leaving really quick? I'm like, well, did you have team meetings with them? No. I was like, <laughs> I mean, there's your first problem. If, you, if you're not even meeting up with them, they feel, you know, they're isolated in this position. Who wants to do that? You're just working for no reason. They're not, you're not working for something. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And for those people who are actually meeting with their SDRs, and but they're you know they're struggling to get the best out of them what would you recommend as ways to kind of um increase the the kind of efficacy of one of your sdrs yeah so i, I think there's a couple of different things that go into because ultimately if your business is not making at least i would say like 30 to 50k with consistent lead flow, or at least you're investing heavily into marketing to get the lead flow to get you to 30 to 50K. An SDR from like the first world is not gonna stay on your team like at all. Like <laughs> it's just not going to happen. So that's why I would nearly recommend getting somebody from the third world at that stage. Like I've hired great people from like Pakistan. I've got, I've, I've had people, people make thousands in Pakistan and like for their local currency, they're living like a king, right? And they'll never leave because like ultimately you showed them how to be a king within their country. Um, and if you're making less than that, even 30K a month, like it's probably not enough. Because if you think of the OTE on that 5%, like one and a half K, somebody in the first, well, they're probably not going to stay for that long, right? And maybe even then you probably have two or three. So we've tested it a few times where we did have people from the first world and the third world. And ultimately we found that like people in the third world they just work harder anyways. And they're very, very coachable in terms of they actually want to get better. They want to learn better English. They want to get into that better position. They want to become a king in their country, let's say, because I've um, pitched it so many times to them. But um, And this is not to say that like people from the first world can't work well. I'm just saying if your company's not making at least 30 to 50K minimum with consistent lead flow, they're not going to stay. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense because you know, there's a lot of tech companies who've historically paid really, really big commissions, big salaries to SDRs. That probably is changing given how tech's doing at the moment, but there's still that level of remuneration which people people expect um, that is just difficult to compete with if you're making um, less than thirty thousand a month. Um, mm. So you mentioned you you've hired uh, from countries that are like less economically developed. Where do, what what are the best countries have you found to hire from? Um. Eastern Europe has always been really good um, simply because they really want to work hard. I don't know what it is, but they're kind of like morals and background and their work, their work ethic alone makes them want to work harder than most people. Um, and as I said, this is not like to bash on like first world people. Like I've hired great people from America, UK, Ireland. Um, ultimately, that's we train a lot of people in that space with affinity sales training. But I would say between like North Africa, East 
Eastern Europe, um, that kind of Pakistan area, like those have been like the hardest workers for us, let's say, like maybe not the best reps, but at least the, the hardest workers. If you show them what to do, they'll do it. Um, and then ultimately, one of the companies that we work with, uh, they run call centers down in Belize in South America. So um, it's more in the real estate space, but that's just one of the offers that um, I've worked within. Um, but yeah, that, that kind of answers the question. If you want to probe in, probe in. Nice. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm curious about um, the call centers, because I think a lot of people, when they think of appointment centers or SCRs, they'll think about uh, one, or, one or two individuals who will kind of go through, reach out to leads via LinkedIn, um, call them, uh, but not on a small scale. I'd, I'd be quite interested to hear a bit more about how it works with call centers, because I can imagine the volume that you get is super high. And the conversions must be really good. And it'd be interesting to know also about the kind of cost structure of something like that as well. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, if you have somebody purely dedicated eight hours a day to just man the phones and, you know, you strap 20 dialers to them and they all cancel out when somebody answers, like, it's not important how many dials they're doing, it's important how many connections and conversations they're having, right? So yeah. um, one cold caller can go through like 10,000 data pretty easily, six or seven times a month. Eight, eight hours a day, Monday to Friday, if they have 20 dialers on them. Um, they're going through a lot of numbers, but um, the main emphasis point behind that is just getting more consistent lead flow, right? Cold calling has always seemed to be the the one area that always has been consistent. Like you look at Facebook ads, like it always kind of goes up and down. You have to change your creatives here and there before they kind of get burnt out. SEO, I'm not too familiar with SEO, so I can't give an opinion on that. But the way I see it with cold calling, it's just one of the most consistent lead channels I've seen. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And how, how do you even go about training someone in a completely different country to cold call like on your behalf? Yeah, that's where it gets a bit tricky. Like the company we work with, like they have somebody specifically for that. So I don't have to worry about that on my end. Um, but for the other side of, of things, there's been plenty of people who like hire their own VAs, which is great. You can give them the data, you can train them, you can manage them. But ultimately, it's the exact same thing, right? If you don't overlook your VA, they're not going to call for you because they don't know who you are. You can have them kind of built up a relationship. I have a VA, VA that I've gone through plenty of VAs, right? Um, and I finally found one that is really good. She's really loyal. She works every day. Everything that I send to her, she does simply because the fact that I reward her, you know, get all this done by a certain time, I'll give you a bonus. I mean, yeah. that's the one way you incentivize people, right? It's, it's the same with SDRs, get to a certain amount and we'll give you a bonus. Same with marketers, you know, bring in a certain amount of leads and we'll get you a bonus. And obviously leads have to be qualified, right? But I'm a huge fan of incentivizing teams. Like I built a cold calling team elsewhere for a B2C offer. The one in Belize is specifically just B2B, but I built a B2C and cold calling team that brought in like 40K a month. Um, just added revenue off like webinars that just weren't producing well. Ultimately, a smaller operation now, it's much bigger. I think they're doing like 60, 70K now. But the reason I bring it up is it's the same thing with them. You have to incentivize them. You know, whoever gets the most calls this week gets like a $200 bonus. I mean, $200 could be worth one close, right? So um, they'll work harder for it. Nice, yeah. And I think a lot of people hear those numbers and are quite excited to go from, you know, not having anyone doing calling because I think there's, you know, there's different ways of doing cold outreach. And I think one way which is becoming increasingly more common and more effective than, than just having SDRs working alone is where you do outreach at scale 
Mm. You segment your list in clever ways. You use intent signals, but you're primarily scaling through software with stuff like Clay or like Pitchlane that we use. Um, what I'd love to hear more about is having a system like that. How do you? How does a? What are you missing if you don't have an SDR or a setup? Yeah, I suppose there's a couple of different angles we can go at it, right? I've had many setters for B2C or B2B, but if we're talking specifically B2B, before getting a, a setter or an SDR, I would definitely do cold email. It's like the cheapest form of client acquisition, especially if you're good at writing copy and targeting your list, right? And you have a decent case study. Um, I see that as like one of the easiest ways of getting clients. Um, hence, we went into it like six months ago. Ultimately, like the, the slogan is like, the power of like five SDRs within one, especially when you get to scale, because ultimately one SDR is not going to do the same as what a software would do. It's the same with LinkedIn, right? You can automate all your LinkedIn outreach with like Ulink, for example, um, and slap and slap your list from Apollo in, you know, has had the LinkedIn profiles there, email them and send them a message on, on LinkedIn. And you're being heavily targeting at that stage, right? So you're getting multiple touch points. I see that as a way where you're going to get to a lot more people a lot quicker opposed to, you know, trying to hire SDRs and they're manually reaching out, right? At scale, it just makes more sense, especially if there's enough records in your target market. Yeah, nice. And with if you compare that with SDRs, where do you see as the best place for them to kind of supplement that system? Yeah, 100%. I think like in the, in the old days before, like instantly in, um, all these kind of very good softwares that have come in. A lot of people were getting three, four, five SDRs. You probably only need one to just literally manage the inboxes when somebody replies on LinkedIn, cold email. I don't know if you're on Facebook or Instagram. Um, ultimately, the one SDR with all those softwares opposed to five, you're, you're having a much less intensive labor force. You don't have to train as much. Everything's kind of getting automated at that stage. And it's just a lot more of a smoother system, especially if they're managing the inbox for you as well for you, but also maybe clients and incentivize them that way. I think that's a great idea, right? You're, you're working with less people and for cheaper. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really cool um, way of doing things. And kind of, as we look a bit more into the future, how, mm. how do you think the role of an SDR is going to, is going to change? Yeah. Great question. Uh, Long term, I don't see SDRs like being hugely needed within the space. And I say that from the point of view that like I've seen some great softwares, I've seen some um, great call sending softwares that like can really scale up some companies opposed to having the manpower, right? And ultimately, that's where I see as like sales as a form of communication and being able to sell to other people is really important in terms of like, let's say closers or account executives, whatever the title you want to put on um, your salespeople they're going to still be in place because ultimately people buy from people that they like, right? So that's going to be important for you to get the experience now while SDRs are still kind of, they're, they're kind of getting pushed out of the market, but not at the same time just right now. Um, get that experience and leverage it to get a position where you're talking to people face-to-face -face on a Zoom meet and Google meet opposed to on a cold call because ultimately I see that as being kind of just wiped out from the market. Yeah, I agree. So for people who are listening who aren't familiar, typically the the traditional um, career path in sales is to start off as an SDR or an appointment setter, booking calls for someone else. And then once you've done that for a while, you then become the one who takes calls um, and mm -hmm. buys from people. And that's yeah, called, called like a closer or an account executive. And yes. 
yeah, I think it's really interesting that the SDR role is going to slowly like kind of fade away. And what what do you think are the biggest factors that are causing that to happen? I mean, great question. I, I think it just simply comes from people noticing the gap in the market, right? I think people are very aware that if they can get a software in place and get a thousand businesses to sign up to it, and they're saving money opposed to paying five, six K a month in base salaries, and they, they can get a software to do the exact same thing. You know, ultimately you're, you're saving a lot of money. You're building up a lot of goodwill. You're going to get a huge amount of referrals. And I think just people are noticing the gap within that type of market. And ultimately that's a market that's kind of been tapped into a lot recently. And these companies are starting to kind of pick up to a lot of the SaaS companies now that, um, the likes of Christopher Harris works with, he's a good mentor of mine. Um, he's Harvard sales and business entrepreneurship uh, coach within Harvard, the same Harvard that we're probably thinking of. Now with that, he's also noticed the kind of shift as well, especially within Harvard, like some of the changes to their curriculum have been heavily evolved and changed around like cold email. They've even added in Instagram because they realized that that's a huge form of you know marketing. And if you can convert that traffic, I mean, ultimately it's going to be good for your business, right? That's really interesting. Um... Yeah, so there's, there's a lot of different channels. Um, there's less and less to do because more and more software can do that. Have you seen any yeah, like, particular software? Um, yeah, like I know like I know people who pay like 6K for an appointment setting course, right? And ultimately, ManyChat is just like wiped that out on Instagram. Like ManyChat, you, you can train it to the point where it nearly manages the entire conversation. And perhaps you only have like one SEO just overviewing it. Or like, a, I, yeah, I think one SDR overviewing it because if, if you have multiple Instagram accounts or, and maybe a LinkedIn and also working on YouTube or um, managing the emails as well, like that'll be good. This is, we're talking specifically B2C now, but ManyChat as a whole literally wipes out SDRs on, on Instagram. Um, and then you link on LinkedIn, wipes them out, cold email. I mean, you can automate everything with, with instantly if you just know how to write your copy. Um, I think like hard skills are always going to stay in there because ultimately you still need to be good at copy. You still need to be good at outreach. You still need to be good at um, talking to people and having conversations. If you can't train your AI or, AI or have a specific script in place for that, like you're not going to win anyways. So um, I think the specific gap there is more people who are just doing outreach are going to be knocked out by people who think outside of the box. Yeah. yeah. It's the same with cold email, right? Like people who use pitch lane, I, I presume, do a lot better than majority of people who just spam a bunch of cold emails and say quick, quick question, first name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. I think it's, it's interesting because it's gone from being a, a role where you just need to grind out numbers, dial as quickly as you can. And now it's actually becoming quite a creative role where actually you plan a, a big campaign and then you allow you use software to scale up your ideas so for example you might think of a campaign where you go to a website work out what the website does and then suggest them ideas based on how they could use your service that previously you would have had to have someone sit down and write all of that now you can automate a lot of that with um ai and like gpt the gpt api so yeah really, really really interesting and mm. like at the very kind of at the very uh like bottom that underscores all of this is the outbound infrastructure that people use because previously mm -hmm. you would have one sdr 
or maybe like multiple SDRs all emailing from your email address that everyone uses and you just yeah. email out and it's just one by one and the volume is very low. Yes, but very, very new low. New software like Smart Lead and Instantly has come out, which has allowed you to you know, have these horizontal outbound infrastructures, loads of domains, loads of inboxes, um, which has become really useful. Tell me a little bit more about that and how you guys are, are making the most of, of that kind of technology. Yeah, I suppose there's a couple of different angles that we can go with it to optimize kind of deliverability and client results. One that we've always seen work and work really, really well is if you have a specific offering, I can give you a great example that we use for, um, maybe I'm giving away too much sauce here, but for accountants. And you notice that there's a federal tax meeting in a certain state. And there are all the companies are getting together and they're talking about their taxes and making sure everything's on point. What if you got a list from that event and then you started emailing towards it? It might be only 500 people, it could be a thousand specifically talking about, hey, look, if this is something that you're worried about, are you open to the conversation of a new CPA? And a CPA is just simply like a, um, an account for large firms, right? So from that, that's a heavily targeted campaign. You're hitting the pain points, people are worried, scarcity, and then you're coming with a solution in the email box. And I, I'm huge into event-based campaigns. Like that's something that like, whenever we launch a campaign, I'm like, okay, whether we do one that's targeted, it's a bit more general, but we also do an event. I'm always a big fan of doing an event-based campaign. It's just something that I'm very um, eager to do because with those countdowns, I think we specifically generated like 80K from like two event-based campaigns, right? So uh, they're very, very lucrative, especially if you have nice juicy commission deals. Um, we didn't, we just had a high retainer. I think that's just, it's a bit more stable that way, but um, that's a great example. Nice, nice. Okay, cool. Tell me, tell me more. Tell me more about those kind of campaigns. Like, like you know, sometimes I'll look at an event. I have no idea how to get the list of attendees, or um, you know, how to find like a high enough volume of those events to to justify, um, you know, making mm -hmm. a core strategy. Like, how how do you go about doing that? Yeah, I suppose it doesn't need to be the, the core strategy behind the actual campaigns. I noticed that the reply rate is, is much, much higher. Like we're talking like 10 to 20%, especially if it's specifically talking about an event that they're going to and you have that within the subject of the actual email base itself. I, I think event base just kind of it adds to your overall strategy, right? It's not something that's going to be solely based. There's not always going to be events every second week. It's something that every four or five weeks you want to run with the client because you know that you'll get some interesting replies and you should get some book calls. There's some softwares that you can use to scrape from like a website or if you like email them and ask. <laughs> I mean, some people just say, yeah, if you email in the way you say, I'd love to know who else is going um, just so I can network with them on LinkedIn or whatever way you want to put it, right? Um, and ultimately, sometimes we just kind of guess and we just scrape a list from the local area. We, and then we ask in the first question saying, are you going? Because if you're not, this is why the event is going. And then your solution at the bottom. Oh, that's interesting. That's a cool way of doing it, actually. Because you're spreading awareness. You know, it's, not, it's not like a direct sale, right? It's something where this is happening in your local area. This is why it's happening. Is this also something, that, also something that's affecting your business and you're open to have a conversation about? It's less salesy, right? Yeah. It's, it's a much different approach compared to just CTA, <laughs> case study. Yeah. Um, let's, ho let's hop on a call. Um, 
but yeah, like obviously instantly now have really taken over with um, outbound marketing. One thing that we've done ourselves and a lot of people have kind of been worried, but a lot of people were using Zoho, switch to Google. Now majority have switched to Outlook, but like, I mean, who's to say what's going to happen with, with Outlook for outbound, right? Um, we have never been using that. We were always just using our own server um, on frostmatter.com. And my sister and a good friend of mine just built that up over the past 12 months. I think we've had like thousands of sending accounts on it. Now we've got a few clients on there and plenty of cash generated from it. Let's just put it, put it that way. I think it's around like two, two or three million. Wow. So two yes. three million from Frost. Tell me more about Frostmailer. So you've built your own email infrastructure. So you're not having yes. to use Google. Cause you know, I'm, I'm paying I think six or seven pounds a month for my inboxes each. Each. a lot of inboxes. So, yeah, yeah. What's your deliverability like out of curiosity while we're on the podcast? Yeah, so it's pretty good in terms. So what we do is we send only 25 emails a day. Uh, okay. Inbox. And depending on how good. So we don't measure open rates. So the only indicator we have is reply rates. And that obviously varies depending on the quality of the offer. So we're, yeah. we're getting around six, six to eight percent or six to ten percent depending on how good the campaign yeah. is it's, yeah it's usually not ten percent unfortunately gotcha gotcha um but i can give you a great example with my partner Aina. he's been using frostmiller for the past 12 months even on the website you'll see on average for the last year he's had like a 13 percent reply rate we don't track open rates either and it's just something that we don't do to optimize for deliverability and then obviously response rates at the end something similar i presume that what you guys are doing so from there with frostmiller i think it's like two dollars Per sending account, like deliverability, you're looking at like 95%. It's pretty much the same as what I'm seeing with some of um, my colleagues with Google. And ultimately, you're not at the beck and call of any other large firm, right? Because if you think about it from Google's perspective, right? Now, ultimately, they're changing their rules and regulations in February, which isn't really that big of a change, to be honest, when it comes to the at Gmail accounts. Um, but because obviously, you know, Apollo and instantly and all these big billion dollar companies reached out and were like, you're going to cripple our business if you change this. Um, with Frostmailer, you're not at the beck and call of other people, but also it's cheaper and it's the exact, pretty much the exact name, if not better. Um, and it's like $2 a sending account. I think the minimum you can get with them is like 15 sending accounts. But to, I mean, if you're not sending more than with 15 sending accounts, it's not going to work anyways. Volume always wins and always prevails. Um, so what's that like? 66% cheaper than what you're, what you're paying right now. You said you said 690 pounds, was it? Yeah, between Outlook and Google charge differently, but we're paying between six and seven pounds per inbox. So that, that would be a huge saving. That would be a huge saving on our end. Yeah, I, there's a couple of different like uh, unique selling points that come with it. Obviously you can save money, but ultimately like why would people switch? It's because you're not at the beck and call of Google. Because if you think about Google's perspective, they make like 10 billion a year from direct advertisement and with email boxes, they don't make that much, right? They're not worried about the cold email side of things. Cold email is ultimately the cheapest form of client acquisition. So why would Google not want to push people away from that and more towards their targeted ads and spend more money on that side of things? Yeah, 100%. I think it's also, it's worth remembering that they have an incentive structure where they also want to protect their own clients' inboxes to, because to give them a good experience versus uh, someone like Frostmailer, where actually 
the whole point is for it to be used for cold email. So it has to be optimized as well as possible with cold email. Mm -hmm. Exactly. How, how easy is it to make inboxes with Frostmailer? Yeah, pretty, pretty simple. We're looking at making it even more simple than what it is right now. But I mean, you just send us the name of your company. You tell us how many domains you need. We get them ourselves in-house. We obviously send over an invoice for the domains itself. And then it's just a subscription based on how many sending accounts you have, right? With everything there, you're taking away the learning factor that comes into setting up all your email accounts correctly. And then when you go to your instantly, it's a matter of just uploading a CSV and they all upload at the same time, opposed to, I think some people do it like one by one. You know, I lo upload like 30 at a time. <laughs> nice. So literally you just say what domain I want. And then I, I assume I have like a few different, I give you a few different domains and then. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you have a client list that you want to buy for, um, we can give you like the sample ones that we're going to buy. Um, if you approve of them, brilliant. I mean, that ultimately slows down the process. Like we just get the regular ones, like try abc.com, okay. join abc.com. So to give you the prefixes or the suffixes, you just, I literally say domain, go. Yeah, exactly. Because ultimately the name of the domain doesn't matter. It's the copy of the email and making sure that you land into the actual inbox itself. So it's, 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 a, it's literally as, as a matter of tell us what domains you want. We'll get the domains. We'll set them all up. And the only thing that you have to do is when you get a CSV uploaded to your instantly or your smart lead. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's comparatively to getting a VA to open an admin account, making sure they, they open each account manually and like ensure like there's a whole system around that, which is super painful, time consuming that Frostmailer sounds super easy. So I know a lot of people when they think about their outbound infrastructure, it's quite like a, it's quite like scary to switch to mm. something new. And like the reason we use Google and Outlook is my opinion's always been that yes, it's expensive, but it works. It's reliable. I've always used it. It's always, you know, we book meetings, we do this, we do that. I'm quite interesting about like the 13% uh, reply rate because that's super high. Um, what would you say about someone who's a bit like worried about switching over? like? that they're, because for example, for us, our, we have clients and if we don't book the meetings because we've switched over to a different infrastructure, that's going to cost us. It's going to make us look bad to them. So how do you, how do you like address that objection? Yeah. I mean, obviously that's something that's going to come up with any form of change, right? People are not used to, to change, but I suppose the question to that comes, I mean, for those of which who are using Zoho and then lost a lot of money by having to change and perhaps lost some clients there and weren't booking meetings and had to switch to Google. And I mean, Google are only starting to make restric restrictions now. Who's to say they can't make them stricter going forward when they want the projections for 2024 to be higher in their, their SEO side of things. Um, from there, when it comes to change, it comes to the question of testing it. I mean, ultimately, if you just want to test it and see, that'll be the best way to do it if you're skeptical. And ultimately, from my perspective, I've never used Google or Outlook, so I don't know or worry about that side of things in terms of like sudden changes um considering we just have our own server and that's been working for the past 24 months itself nice and you've, you've successfully booked loads of meetings from it. i think it's definitely something worth trying and i think from kind of our perspective one of the things on our mind is it doesn't have to be an all or nothing either exactly like exactly exactly because what's the worst scenario you have all of your 
domain boxes on Google and Google changes the restrictions and then all of your inbox have to go, or you have, 50, let's say even 30, 30, 30 between Outlook, Google and Frostmailer and Outlook all of a sudden changes their restrictions and Google gets tighter and maybe one of our inboxes goes, who knows, right? You're diversified in that section. Yeah, and I think also, given how much cheaper it is, like a third of the price, you can have double the sending infrastructure. Anyways. <laughs> and, it's still, and it's still cheaper. So I think that, that's, that's, that's really interesting. That's really cool. Exactly. And obviously it comes down to you having the right amount of records, et cetera. But um, that would be the question I have. Like when people bring that objection to our team, it's like, what's a worse scenario? I mean, lose 100% or lose 30% or 50% if you have a 50-50. Because at that stage, you're still sending emails opposed to like many people were on Zoho and then got burnt or with Google had to switch over to Outlook straight away and then had a two week block where perhaps you weren't invoicing clients for it because you're making a big change. Um, I don't know much about Microsoft side of things, but ultimately, if they make a change, that's what, what from your perspective, what's the worst scenario? Yeah, exactly. You, know, you, you, you want to be protected. You want to be protected. I guess um, with Frostmail, is it the same? With uh, like when you're using Outlook and Gmail, where you need to warm for two weeks, like how many emails are you sending per day per inbox, stuff like that? Yeah, great question. I see some copycats out there in terms of saying that you know you don't need a warm up. <laughs> you always need a, a warm up with our Frostmail ones. Like we've launched campaigns after ten days and they've been grand, uh, but ultimately, like that two weeks is kind of like a it's just recommended from our side of things because if you start sending emails after three days and then you burn your domains. I mean, that's not on us. We say 14 days minimum for warm up, and then no more than 30. We used to send 50 per, per inbox and we've pushed back to, to 30 per inbox. Nice, nice, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And what's what's the plan with Frostmailer? Like, uh, a lots of, I'd imagine lots of people are kind of joining at the moment. How- are Yes. How's it, how's it going in terms of like growth? Like what are your plans? Yeah, great, great question. We have a decent number of clientele right now. A lot of them are kind of switching over. And yes, they're doing as well, exactly what you said, Ryan, in terms of trying it for one client. And then as soon as it works, which it works for us, they're looking to switch over majority of their clients because at the end of the day, if they can save on that side of things and use those dollars towards somewhere else, whether they're reinvested into other channels or perhaps just getting more sending accounts and doubling the volume overnight. I mean, that that's mainly the I mean, emphasis point with us. And we're, we're looking to grow. We're obviously looking to get more clients on board. Um, my sister and my partner, you can find them on Twitter, Casey Mulvey one I think is their Twitter handle. And Aina is Dusko P, as known on um, Twitter. He's a very big user of Pitchlane, by the way. A lot of his yeah. campaigns, you rip. Um, in the Irish market, es essentially, they, they use a lot of Pitchlane. So... Um, big huge advocate of that side of things hence why we want to hop on because um it's generated a lot of revenue for some of the clients yeah no it is it is funny because when you know you start a business you don't expect that for some reason the irish market is booming <laughs> for your, your product. Mm. and i think a lot of that comes down to aina is a, a, yeah, an excellent an excellent salesperson when it comes to yes and targeting. exactly but I suppose, I suppose it comes back to the the minds of it as well, by the way, right? Like if you don't think a campaign's not gonna work, it's not gonna work. I, I've, I'm huge into mindset and being very intentional about what you want and what you wanna do. And 
saying that, you know, this campaign is going to get four meetings because of X, Y, and Z, right? Like if you're not as intentional, like that's not going to work. Like it, it, I, I have it down to the T at this point where, you know, I wake up and I, I'm huge into like Sam Ovens, you know, obviously school.com owner just recently got a portion of it acquired by Alex Ramosi. And he always talks about how, like, if your mindset is incorrect, your beliefs, I mean, you're not going to take the necessary actions towards it, right? So it's the same when it comes to Frostman. I presume it's the same when it comes to pitch lane, right? If you don't have a specific target of what you want to get to, you're not going to get there because you're just kind of shooting in the dark. Um, if you're not like hugely intentional with it, your reality is just not going to catch up to it. 100%. I think at the start, when we started with pitch lane, we, we never had a plan. We never um, really, we were just shooting, yeah, like you said, shooting in the dark, just doing, trying loads of things, seeing if anything stuck. And um, we were quite lucky in terms of the fact that people were getting really good results, which then allowed us to go, okay, what are the, what are the traits that all the people getting good results have in common? And from there, you know, you can start to work backwards. But I think it's quite interesting in what you were saying about kind of the, the people who kind of inspired you in terms of like how, how to run a business and like the mm. approach you need to take. So let's, let's dive a little bit more into kind of the more personal side of things. Um, sure. You touched on it previously, but let's let's talk about where your journey started. It'd be good to hear that story, where you are now, and you, know, you as a person, what's what's changed in that process? Yeah, great. Some great questions. Um, are we going to go as far back as McDonald's, or we have a brief, brief overview? Because ultimately, I think the viewers will get the most value of like the last kind of six months change. Yeah, let's go and let's dive in with that. Okay, because. Ultimately, as I said from the beginning, I started at McDonald's there for three years. Ultimately, I couldn't make a change if I didn't change something. And so I moved. I just said, right, I'm in college. I moved away. I said, I'm going to go over to Italy and stay there for a couple of weeks. Found a nice place to stay. Just got a way to kind of think and see a different environment, right? Got very, really close with like one of the VPs of um, a large company in Europe. And he was managing like Italy, Israel, Turkey, and another country I can't remember off the top of my head. And he was like, Warren, why don't you get into business? <laughs> you talk so much about business and you I'm doing social work and I'm doing social work in college. And I'm also doing, you know, McDonald's on the weekend. Like that's it's completely different Warren compared to two and a half, three years ago, right? Um, so that was kind of like the switch that I saw inside me. And then I kind of just opened my eyes, right? And there's a statistic where like 30 percent of people can't even think for themselves. I tweeted about this the other day. I just can't fathom walking into a room and with 20 people and six people look at you and think nothing. And I think before then, I was literally just like one of those people. I was just like going through the motion, a rat in the race, right? In the, the matrix, I don't like to use that keyword, but um, ultimately you're not striving towards anything, right? So that kind of switch kind of changed from like somebody else giving me a different perspective and let's say challenging myself um, from then go straight into sales and sales is a huge game changer because I had a couple of failed businesses before sales. I, you know, spent 4k on a PT and, and built a gym of my own decided after two weeks, I don't want to do that. Um, lost a lot of money trading, lost a lot of money drop shipping. Um, there's a few other things that I did, but not notable to put on a podcast. And I think, I think Mark Cuban put it perfectly is like, if you have an idea, that's great because ultimately if the plan fails, just change the plan and keep going. And that's literally what happened with this story in terms of t taking those step backs with 
some of the sales roles, getting a better sales role, leveraging that to get into a better position, really kind of growing from the point of last December when I was able to fully move remotely and get that kind of sense of freedom. And I think I was making like two to three K started managing the team, went into the five figures. Um, and ultimately from there, it kind of opens your eyes to what you can do, because if you make even just two to three K a month, you can live in Europe, you can travel, you can see, you can see the world. And that was a huge eye opener for myself. And over the past kind of six months since moving fully across to Milan, now I'm in Spain right now, but I fully live in Milan was simply the fact of like, it's just you versus you. You're the only one that's going to hold you back. And that's kind of been the big mindset shift with Sam Ovens. There's no like external force. There's nothing holding you back in the universe. And what he kind of puts life into is this one simple sentence of reality being like this magnificent illusion because where I am, for example, right? I could be in Bali with you. I could feel terrible and you could feel great. And we could both walk outside and you'll see the beauty in the mundane. You'll see the blue skies, the monkeys climbing the tree, having a great time, the people laughing. And I would notice, you know, the, the pills of water on the floor, you know, the, yeah. the gray darkness in the corner, the, the clouds in the sky. Those are two different realities, right? And he go dives into your beliefs, turn into actions, turn into feed or results, turn into feedback. So if you start with your beliefs, ultimately you'll start taking actions towards that. It's the same with pitch lane, right? You kind of just threw a few things out. Then you started to get some beliefs that saying, okay, now we know what our kind of ideal customer profile is. Now you're taking actionable steps towards getting more of those people. Then you get results and then you get feedback and the feedback shows you how do you get there quicker. So that's a huge kind of mindset shift over the past six months with Sam Ovens. Like I think he was broke at like 19 by 26, he was 65 million. He was pretty synonymous with SMMA and online coaching at the beginning. I think he's on the rich list for New Zealand right now. That was of like 2017, Never mind now and skill.com is doing really, really well. So that's essentially where the kind of mindset shift has come from. Nice. So if I understand, I know that was a huge monologue, but dive in. No, no, it was good. It was good. It's good. So really, I guess what you're saying is you were kind of just going through the motions in life. You know, you, you were interested in business, but you know, your life decisions weren't really reflecting what you wanted to do. You were just kind of just, yeah, going through the motions. And then one day you kind of just had a moment where you're like, actually, no, like, I need to take control. And then I, I do think that you, in life, like these things, you know, they snowball um, in positive and negative ways. So, you know, you, 100%. you hit a threshold where you're making like 2K a month and all of a sudden, or 2, 3K, depending where you are, all your kind of, your day-to-day is paid. You're not, you know, you're not staying in, in mansions, but you, you're not worried about money. And then that gives you that platform to jump off and then, no, not jump off, to jump. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now you're in a position where you're being like really intentional with everything that you do. I guess my question is, let's say someone's listening to this and they're in a position where they, they're, they're actually relating more to the, to the Warren of six months ago or the Warren that was more than six months ago, sorry, where you were just kind of going through the motions it sounds like you went on a little bit of a journey. So how was that? How did that start? Was it online content? Were you reading? Did you meet people? How, how, how can someone who's feeling like they're going through the motions kind of yeah. follow like a similar trajectory? Yeah, it's something that I'm like hugely passionate about on 
my side of things the couple of months prior to kind of having that mindset shift we had some people in the kind of local community commit suicide and that's a huge thing within the irish community in terms of like a lot of young men committing suicide nowadays i think it's like 81 percent of people hate their job in ireland so it's going to be a huge focal point of myself joshua jay's josh talk biz on twitter and david finneran is kind of like showing people how to actually just leave your job make a bit of money and have that kind of freedom to travel so that's where kind of like affinity sales training came from nothing like ultimately like the money is not what we wanted like we did it for free for like eight months and the only reason that we turned it paid was simply because we were starting to get like ddos and people showing up and <laughs> i think on the last one somebody like started flashing we we're like right brilliant we need to we need to change something here or this is going to continue so my advice to somebody in that position would be to invest in yourself whether you invest into some books whether you invest into some because the reason behind that is it, you can learn it all yourself yes but if you want to get there quicker i mean you invest in yourself like at the beginning i invested like 3k into a program fantastic program gareth campbell great mentor of mine um he's huge in the twitter space as well and ultimately from there i was able to kind of get that position of comparison there's many people in that group who are making like eight nine ten fifteen twenty thirty k a month and i was thinking fuck if, if these guys can do it, i can have regular conversations with them they're just regular people and uh, why can't i do the same why can't i be in the same shoes like why not so i'm huge into like investing in yourself so that's why even with affinity sales training like it's not like four five six seven eight nine ten k it's like twelve dollars a week i mean ultimately we just wanted to have like such a low barrier of entry where uh, people who want to troll wouldn't join, but also people who want to change can afford it, right? So yeah. that's been a huge focal point of that. I think we're, we're even going to be doing a charity event in the summer um, yeah. to raise specific awareness for that event um, and like youth development in Ireland, because ultimately that's something that's kind of lacking within the community, whether to do like a five side. Because we did our first meetup in December and most of the guys are like, why not just do a five aside in soccer? So I mean, when I hear a great idea, I just act on it. I think that's the main difference between somebody who's successful and not. If you get an idea, just work on it. Just do it. Like Frostmailer was something that we were using our own server for so long. I mean, and then some people were asking us, like, when you, when you have people actively coming to you to ask to go on your server and pay you for it, I mean, there has to be a gap there, right? So it's literally an idea. And then four days later, we had three more clients. Like, <laughs> we had huge traction from the very beginning but ultimately if i didn't act upon that idea you're not going to get anywhere so if you, i say if you have an idea just do it whether you do it yourself it takes a bit longer or you invest into yourself like either or i'm always a big fan of because ultimately if you're trying to get better that's how you do it yeah no i, I agree and i think <clears throat> you know not everyone has like the privilege of being able to invest in themselves you know some people that like don't even have the time to like sit down and read a book or you know, they might not think they do, um, but you do just have to do it. Like you need to find the time. You need to find the ways of being able to, to invest because otherwise you, you can get stuck in a rut. Yeah, I'd love to even like challenge that point if you allow me to. Because like the whole concept of like people telling themselves that they don't have time, if they tell themselves that they're going to naturally build their calendar with stuff that they don't really need to be doing anyways, and so they'll be holding stuff back. Like, for example, Aina came out here in Spain and we had a task list. And I was like, do you really need to do X, Y, and Z? Could you not get a VA to do it? Oh, yeah, I could. Okay, so you do have an hour free. So when you get an extra perspective, you can realize that your calendar doesn't need to have all this fluff on it. 
so it, it kind of goes back to Steve Jobs, right? Steve Jobs, before he died, sent 300 autobiographies of a yogi to all of the attendants to his funeral. And one thing in there with the law of yogi is whatever energy you put out is the energy you will receive, whether it's positive or negative. So if you say negative things about yourself, you're naturally going to do natural actions towards that. Or if you say positive things, you'll, you'll naturally attract positive energy. And I can give you a great example because if you think, let's say if you have a girlfriend, right, and you're actively thinking of she's out on a night out, she's cheating on you, she's talking to all these other boys, right? It's a negative energy. You will naturally do actionable steps to make her want to do that. And then she will do that. And then you'll be thinking, oh my God, I was right from the beginning, but you just manifest it into existence because you were thinking heavily on it and then you active upon it, whether you like ignored her that one time or um, the communication broke down because you just weren't talking to her because you were thinking in your brain that she's talking to these other guys. But you can say it and the other side of things where you build yourself up to be the best person in the room, the most positive person, the most wealthy person, the, the, most, the mindset of abundance. I mean, there's two different sides to it, right? That's one thing that I'm hugely passionate about, as you can probably see. I went on a bit of a ramble there. No, it's good. It's good. It's interesting. So I guess, like, if you are listening and you're thinking, oh, like, I don't have time or I don't have money or I don't have skills, it'd be interesting to identify, okay, which belief is holding me back? Because I think everyone's probably got a unique one. And like one, once you identify it and you can spot it, it'd be, what, would, what would you say to someone who's identified that they're like, they think that they don't have time? Because if you, you know, think that, you're not going to just overnight if someone says, hey, well, no, you only don't have time because you think you don't have time. How, how, how can you get someone to make that that change in like in, in belief that's going like, to allow yeah to yeah 100 like I, I had a call with tyler welsh one time i think he has like 55k on twitter and you put it perfectly they analyze like millions of sales calls it's similar because sales calls to life is pretty much it's, it's very similar right so in terms of decision making i think it was like 40 percent of those millions of sales calls didn't close because they simply just didn't believe in themselves so the question becomes like when you look in the mirror who is that person who is that person that you're striving to become? Because if you put out there that I don't have enough time, you're never going to have enough time. If you put out there that, you know, uh, I drink a lot, you're going to drink a lot. If you tell yourself, I don't drink often, naturally, you're just going to not drink often. You're going to say, when somebody asks you, do you want to drink? You say, no, I don't drink often. So it's whatever you tell yourself. So I would challenge that to the point where whatever you say to a prospect, they, they will not believe it unless they state it themselves. Like you naturally, that's why most people say if you're talking more than your prospect, you're going to lose the sale because they're not stating what's wrong. So in this situation with the time, I mean, they're stating it. what's wrong is they don't believe in it. They're not uncomfortable to the point where they need to make a change or they want to make a change. So you challenge that and say, well, what, what's the desired outcome? Let's say the desired outcome is 4K. Okay, so it sounds to me like you actually don't want to get the 4K a month. Oh, well, I do. I was like, well, if, if you're telling yourself you don't have enough time, I mean, you're not the ideal person to work with because you'll never put time towards this. If you keep telling yourself that you have no time, you're never going to get there. So it sounds to me like you never want to get to 4K a month yeah. and challenge them that way. Yeah, so it's actually really kind of talking about the not only just what their beliefs are, but what is the kind of, what you, I guess what you're saying previously about the results of those beliefs and analyzing it from a different angle, I think could be really cool. All right, that's really mm -hmm. interesting. And now, like, we're kind of coming towards towards the end. I guess one thing that I think is always good to talk about is 
the more like unglamorous side of running a business because I think you know a lot of people have this idea that once they make it as a business owner their life's going to be amazing and fixed and you know you're you're doing really well a lot of people will think that you know given the story that you've got of you know where you where you started you took your, you took yourself um from you know working a job that wasn't great that you didn't like to you know being in a really good position which is amazing what t- tell us about the unglamorous side what what happened or like what experience have you had where you were just like oh i want to give up or oh like this is this is so tough to kind of show like the, the side that yeah you to instagram the side that you don't see on instagram twitter is the days where you have like eight nine calls and nobody shows up like those are those are the days that will show you where you, you just did eight hours for nothing. You didn't even talk to anybody today. I think that's a huge side that is a reality. Like your show rate might be 40, like 60%, but those 40%, you don't know when that's going to happen. It could be on every one of them on the same day. And that's just so annoying where you have like so many reschedules, so many no shows. I've had plenty of times where like people slammed the door in my face and, you know, wasn't able to, you know, even just talk to them. People will tell me to fuck off at the doors. I've gotten attacked by dogs twice knocking doors um i had to go to the hospital after getting attacked by a dog um those are the unglamorous side of things right um and then ultimately marketing marketing is a huge portion of how much money you're going to make because if your marketing is not on point you're not going to have the sales calls you don't have the sales calls you're not going to make your your commission so whatever company you do choose to go with make sure they have like a proven track record of leads because if they don't you're not going to make that consistent 10k a month ot that they have that's a huge portion portion that is wrong with this industry they say like oh the ot is 10k a month but the company has never made 100k in one month <laughs> so how is the on target earnings 10k a month with a 10 percent commission but the company's never done 100k it's only done like 40 where is that coming from an ot should only be based off like actual results previously not projected results because projected results could go anyway right we all know what business it can go up and down a majority of them go down unless you're on an upward spiral, right? So those are the unglamorous sides, I would say, with the no-shows, reschedules, marketing, people lying about offers. You might think, great, I'm about to get onto an offer where it's 10 to 15K OTE, and then you have two calls in a week. I mean, that's... And then you spend a whole week of onboarding and trying to learn the offer, and then there's just no leads. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge side of the unglamorous side of high-ticket sales. Yeah, yeah, and I think... It's one of those things that it just, you know, you do your research, you get yourself prepped, and then they don't show. And it's such a kick in the teeth. It yeah. always happens when you're feeling like a bit tired or like when you're feeling like a little bit ill and you're just there like, oh, like, where's the next? I think for me with sales, it's like, where's the next sale going to come from? And then as soon as you get into that mindset, people don't want to buy from you because they know you really want the sale. Whereas mm-hmm. it... It creates that like just a dynamic which doesn't work. Um, yeah, hundred percent. Like most of the, uh, I don't like challenge at the end of a sales call. That's where like the salesy side comes in. Once you drop price, like sales pressure is at its utmost highest of the call. So I I tend to just challenge like throughout the like the discovery phase and the after pitch before I drop price because then you seem across less salesy. You've challenged them, yes. You come across less salesy. Even if they go to anybody else in the industry and they say, look, I just want to look at these other two companies, they're going to do their job for you. 
because they're going to come across as salesy and trying to build an urgency. And they're going to remember the great conversation that they had with me because sales, as I said, we're, like we just had a conversation here. I mean, if you can't just have a conversation with somebody and kind of figure out what's going on, as you did with me for this podcast, I mean, you're going to come across as salesy all the time. Whereas if you're just genuinely having a conversation, you're just going to get much better results. It's the way I see it. Like people talk about like a, a script. I don't use a script. Why would I use a script? I mean, if you're reading from a script, you're not actively listening to your prospect. Like I would just think in like frameworks. Yeah, I think that might have to be a second podcast episode where you can do one on one. For sure. I think that's what we need to do. Um, 100%. Yeah, no, we're, we're rounding off almost to an hour there. So we'll, Brilliant. we'll call it there. But um, first of all, I just want to say thank you for coming on. You said a lot of really interesting things and I appreciate you telling us a bit more about like, the personal side of things. And also, you know, with Frostmailer, that sounds really, really interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. So where, where, where can people find you to find out about the different things that you do? Because I know you, you've got a couple projects going at the moment. Yeah, 100%. I think the, the main place you'll get value from myself and see more about me is on Twitter. So my handle is just warrenmulvey 2 on Twitter. My Instagram is just warrenmulvey with three Ys at the end. Um, those would be the two main places where you see the majority of things from myself. But as I said, Ryan, I appreciate the um, time today as well have me on the podcast as well. I really like what yourself and your partner is doing with, with Pitchlane itself, and I'm excited for the future. Nice. Likewise. All right. I'll see you soon. Cheers. Bye-bye. See you guys. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Cheers. All right.